0: This is Ken Lubin, and welcome to the Ultimate Hire podcast. What is the Ultimate Hire? The Ultimate Hire is the professional that every business, team, or leader needs in their organization. This is the high performance individual that always rises to the top, brings the team to the next level, and can significantly add to the bottom line. The Ultimate Hire is the person that you can't afford to be without. Finding, attracting, hiring, and retaining these professionals is critical to the success of your business. We have identified these traits and can help you find these top professionals. A little bit about me. I'm a managing director and longest tenured employee with ZRG Partners. I'm the creator of the Ultimate Hire blog, founder of Executive Athletes, a U.S. Olympic Committee career advisor, and endurance athlete as well as following my true passion of being a husband, father, and son. I love to get people out of their comfort zone while helping them achieve their dreams and companies achieve their goals by helping them realize the importance of living a high-performance life. This podcast will feature hiring strategies, interview tips, conversations with key business leaders, as well as other search professionals. This is designed to give individuals and organizations tools and tactics to have a competitive advantage for career growth, business growth, and insights to the most important resource, the people. If anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to me at klubin at ZRG Partners, and I hope you enjoy the show. This episode's guest is Mo Alchemade. As the former beverage division president of Treehouse Foods, North America's number one private label food and beverage manufacturers, he served as a senior officer of the biggest company you've never heard of. I can't wait to talk about that. According to foodprocessing.com. But Treehouse Foods may not be a household name, but the dozens of top quality private label beverages, meals, baked goods, and, con- and condiments they produce and 40 global facilities are familiar favorites to consumers worldwide. Mo, in his most recent position and prior role as Chief Strategy Officer, he developed strategic frameworks, brand roadmaps, product portfolios, team structures, partner alliances, new supply chains, and business sales models to drive the company, and industry-leading category sales and profits. Pre-Treehouse, he held group VP in GM roles for a $14 billion division of Walgreens and served in VP director positions in US, Canada, Asia, and during his tenure with Kraft Food. So Mo, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to talk to you about leadership, leadership in crisis, what's happening in the market. So great to have you on board. Thank you. So Mo, tell us a little bit about you and your background and how you landed, where you landed
1: uh yeah um well i think you you gave a good summary there i'm I'm originally from toronto canada um grew up there went to school there um started my career there um was very fortunate to to get some exposure to some interesting projects along the way uh in 2000 i moved to the states uh, all through craft um continued to develop Um, Got again, got into some really interesting roles. Um, uh, You mentioned Asia, moved to Asia for three years, came back, then took on, um, decided to leave Kraft, moved to Walgreens, again, took some really interesting roles and problems to solve. Did that for about eight years, and then for the last three years, I've been at at Treehouse. So um, interesting journey, and and, um, I think what's unique about Myself as you know, kind of adapted into these different roles, different companies, really, really well, um, and that's that's been um, you know that's been unique for me.
0: Definitely, how was it working globally? How was it leading globally? Right, you know, looks like yeah. most of the often you're, you know, you grew up here in North America, but leading globally is a totally different beast. Talk to us a bit about that.
1: You know, I tell you that I. I appreciated it more after I returned back to the U.S. Um, When you're in it, I mean, if you think about the Asia that I was responsible for, it was India to Japan, China down to New Zealand. And if you haven't been in that area, um, that is a massive amount of distance to cover. Um, And I think it was like 11 to 12 different countries. Each of those countries has its own culture. It's, It's... you know even the business models are all different and what you learn um is how to really again how to adapt how, how to kind of influence uh and be really respective of of your audience and 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 uh, you, you just don't know that you're doing it until you kind of leave and, and honestly i i did those three years i thought it was brilliant got a lot of things done but thought well when am i ever going to use that skill again Um, the irony is I have not forgotten about that experience. And I, and I've adapted that into everything I've done moving forward.
0: No, I love that. And it's amazing. I've done quite a bit of search work all over the world as well. And I loved what you said. You don't really realize what you learned until afterwards, because people communicate different, they negotiate different, they do business different. Right. And you sort of have to be a chameleon, but you also sort of have to keep, you know, the American piece as well because they respect you as much as you respect them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What about, um, and you've, so obviously we're chatting right now, we're in the middle of this pandemic when you are a craft, you actually, looks like you saw a few different (laughs) downturns and you've led through quite a bit of crisis. Yeah. Um, craft, you had nine 11, you had probably the mid, you know, the nineties coming into it, the recession prior to that. And then Oh, yeah. eight, Oh nine. What are your, you know, talk to us about leadership during crises. What do you do? What do you do differently? Or do you sort of have a 10 year plan where you're keeping your eye on the ball? Talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I think it's a combination. I think those that lead through these times best have a vision. Um, and, and they kind of know whether what good looks like or objectively where you want to take the company or your business. Um, and then these types of situations just become barriers. They don't change the vision. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think especially from a leadership perspective, this is when people around you need the most coaching, leadership, um, empathy, um and and you know i think it's really lost on some people but but i i always found that and i've been very consistent in that in being very inclusive as a leader um but but giving a um a ton of time to the people around me just to ensure that you know people's minds were always in the right thing the direction was right and even if in the short term the direction is different you have to manage through that that difference um and, and that's how i I've always done it um, and I've been pretty successful doing it that way.
0: Right. And, it, and it's an interesting, right? And I think, did it change when you left craft to go to Walgreens is Walgreens global. I'm,
1: yeah. For, well,
0: forget me if I'm my ignorance around that. No,
1: no, that's fine. No, like when, when I first started with Walgreens, it was a, an American company, uh, very much a Midwest expanded expanded company, but the the culture was very much Mid uh, Midwest. Um, and then early on in in my tenure there, we got into an agreement with um, a company called Boots Alliance or Alliance Boots, which was similar to what Walgreens was, but in Europe. Um, and that changed the dynamics of that organization forever um and i think that's a great from a leadership perspective i think there's another great example of of how you have to adapt um but how how different that experience that was an amazing experience
0: and and how come how is it put into you know i've we've been in well, europe or a lot of listeners have been in europe right and you see yeah. all over the place and well, i'm in new england so we have cvs right so yeah, no, that's no. our big one
1: yeah, well, and CBS took a very different strategic approach than Walgreens, and and arguably maybe the better one. But um when I first started, my role was to build the private label organization within retail. And not to get into um, you know, a ton of details, but basically the old the old operating model was merchants ran private label. But what you get out of all that is um you know, a ton of complexity, unnecessary, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, that was my initial role to go in, build that, create some new brands, consolidate, make some money. Um, you know, and, and again, that that the private label business is really intriguing. But fast forward, all of a sudden, there was this opportunity and it was more resonated from the Boots group that they wanted to get into the U.S. They had some pretty strong brands. They wanted to get out of the, or or expand outside the the UK market or the European market. What was really interesting though is that you had your executive organization that was the legacy of of Walgreens and in comes this new organization led by a very powerful, powerful man. Um, And it was really interesting to see the dynamics of power change over that period. So you start from a nice midwestern company to a joint venture for a couple of years that I was heavily involved in to inevitably the organization changing to Walgreens Boots Alliance uh, and traded on the NASDAQ, right? Uh, and then the entire leadership team moving, um, you know, to survive through that and to, to be successful was, was really interesting, it was a real challenge.
0: Right. What were some of the biggest challenges with that?
1: Well, I I mean, I'll tell you, I'll go from the beginning. So uh, a couple of interesting challenges. Number one is when I entered Walgreens, uh, never had there been executives brought in from the outside. Um, And, you know, when, when you're interviewing and you're asking the right questions, the one question I didn't ask was, Tell me about the culture and tell me about how successful people from the outside are coming in. Because the answer would have been, well, there hasn't been anyone, uh, especially at this level. So, you know, stage one of, of my career at Walgreens was I come in with three or four other executives into an environment where, you know, we were implanted but not really welcomed. Um, and we were there to change the organization, change roles and responsibilities. So it was really, really tough to be successful and, and get through that. Um, again, go back to the Asia experience. You start to think differently and how you influence and how you bring people along. Within a year, year and a half, we then get into this joint venture with um, Alliance Boots, and and as the transition of power quickly went over to the Alliance Boots people. Um, what you started to see was a real infiltration of their expertise into Walgreens. So if I was running the uh, part of part of what my responsibility in the joint venture was to reduce cost of goods by 15 percent. So it was a significant business. Um, You you know, we're we're talking five, four or five million dollars. Let's assume half of that is cost of goods you're talking about significant dollars. And the whole joint venture was about saving $2 billion to prove that that relationship had real fruit long-term. So it was my job to bring back, let's say $200, $250 million of cost savings. Um, But but because this has really originated from the boot side, Wherever they their executive team was in the world, every quarter you had to go to where they were and explain how you were performing. So it was really interesting to, although my direct boss was obviously in the US, uh, the influence and a lot of the pressures were coming from the other side. Um, and then lo and behold, a couple of years later, we become a completely different organization. The whole C-suite is moved off. It's a new C-suite. Um, I was successful, again, in getting promoted and moving into another role. Um, But again, you you know, it was really about understanding how to operate um, with each of your individual respective um, leaders to ensure that you were satisfying what they needed. So um, it was it was. I mean, aside from the Asia, I I always kind of look back at Walgreens as a a real learning period for eight years.
0: I loved what you said too, is about the culture of people that are, you know, have you hired from the outside? Because I think in a lot of places you're just so used to that, but there's a lot of Midwest companies where everyone is just promoted from within. I've done work with John Deere and Caterpillar and a lot of those players too. And it's the same thing that they're lifers, right? And they yeah. sort of go on the, the rotation and G was the same way for years and years too. They only really promoted from within and, yeah. Yeah. and it's a different mindset, right? It's oh. something differently. And I, and I loved what you're talking about that. How was making that transition? How did you, how did you manage that? Because I know a lot of the listeners are, you know, do wonder that when they get stuck in those types of situations.
1: Well, it's kind of, I mean, you know, in any interview, it's like, tell me a time when you made a, a mistake, right? Um,
0: never. So, so never, right? Yeah, so or all day, every day. What that's that's the other? when everyone
1: pauses and says, geez, I really can't think of anything. Well, I've got a ton. Um, and if you don't learn from them, then that's the foolishness. But um, so so I would tell you the first 100 days at Walgreens was probably the worst of my career, right? So number one, I didn't appreciate or couldn't understand, you know, the, the people hadn't ever come from the outside. Um, I was brought in to do a very tough job, tougher than I thought, which was to take the best part of the merchant's job, take it away from them, and build a new organization. Um, and. You know, the third part is, you know, when you work for a CPG company like Kraft, I mean, you are constantly changing packaging, changing brands, changing, you just constantly do it. So anyways, you know, part of probably I was in my job for 60 days and we had a town hall and it's, you know, Mo come up and talk about what, what you want to do with private brand. And I'm like, what a great opportunity. So I did my typical, here's what we'll do in the first 90 days. Here's what we'll do over the course of the year. This is my vision. This is why I think it'll work. You know, and and so to give you some, some idea of what I came into, probably about, a, there was a, probably 120 different brands that they had under their, their envelope of private label, right? Um, there was no sourcing. They did a lot of brokerage. Um, there was no global sourcing off it. Like there was a whole pile of things. There was no food quality. There was nothing. It was just still very much at its infancy, right? So I get up there and say, I'm going to reduce the brands from 120 down to 10. I'm going to create some dominant brands. Uh, I think the Walgreens brand should just be an OTC. I think this, I think that, and it was dead silence. Um, and I, I get off the stage and I'm thinking, wow, I think I did a really good job. It makes all, all sense, it's very strategic. And lo and behold, the feedback I received is, you know, because of what I said, um, I wasn't sensitive to the audience. And, and again, I should have learned that from my past experiences. But basically what I told them is that all the work they've done for the last 20 years was terrible and I'm there to change it, right? Now, that was not what I intended to say, but that's how it came out. Um, And it took me at least a year, at least a year to get people to at least start working with me and feel comfortable with me. Now, again, it was a cultural issue. There was nothing. I don't think there's anything I could have said other than I like everything you've done. I don't want to change anything. That would have been the only satisfactory answer, but that's not what I was there for. Um, but, But that was my that's how I got into it. And, and and you know, I, I think part of what I bring to the table is I'm just, I'm a bulldog, but a pleasant bulldog in the sense of, I know what good looks like. I'm gonna keep on plodding through here. I'm gonna bring the right people in and I will prove out over time that the theory, the vision will make sense. They'll feel like partners, they won't feel alienated. And ultimately that's what I did, but it was, it certainly took longer than I had anticipated. Um, And, and that's been a, like a fascinating learning to me.
0: That's like, and there's an MBA right there for you, right? Yeah. Sort of self, uh, self-directed MBA, which is, you know what, those are the best ones to get because you can't teach that stuff in, in real time. You can't right? It's uh, a lot like we're going through right now. No one, no one ever wrote a business plan for a pandemic that shut down the world in a weekend. So, uh, you know, it's like, it's sort of that same type of thing. What, so you moved on to Treehouse Foods. Yeah. One of the largest private label, you know, food and beverage manufacturers in North America. Yeah. You know, and talk to us about private label. And obviously I think we Probably know a little bit of you go buy Shaw's brand or Stop and Shop brand or whatever, but it's much bigger than that, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, and it's really evolved, right? I mean, I think I think you, you know you you go outside the U.S. and private label is a percent of business is well over thirty, thirty five percent, right? In the U.S., it averages below twenty, right? So um, I think people see that space as being really attractive. There's there's growth there um, and treehouse happens to be um, the largest private label manufacturing uh, company in the us potentially you know worldwide it's it or at least it was it was a big company it was about six and a half billion dollars when I first started um, you know if you think about it most all retailers with the exception of a few um, they contract out all of their products that, and, and have it manufactured by companies like Treehouse. Right? Um, the uniqueness of Treehouse is that it's 32 categories. There is a real opportunity, um, seemingly, that that you know they can service customers far better um, and more breadth of products um, than others can. You know, and 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 to me that was very attractive. I knew them. Prior to, you know, when I was at Walgreens, they were like the leading supplier from a private label perspective. They were winning awards. Um, it was, it was a really, um, you know, really good company.
0: Right, right. And so you came on board, you helped with the growth, industry yeah. leading results, right? And again, it's a, uh, it's a whole different business. Talk to us a little bit about sort of the whole private label thing. You're, because you're the beverage division,
1: correct? Yeah um what do you mean by the whole private label? Well, it's sort
0: of you know so are you it's it, is it all grocery store based is it yeah. all you know yeah. pharmacy based Are there other things outside of that
1: yeah so so you know i mean private label exists everywhere treehouse is really food and beverage and snack okay. um you know and and, and it, this is the thing that i think people don't understand i mean you know you either have you have cpg so where i came from craft and then you have private label right and and so there are benefits pros and cons of each right but let me give you the 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 real nuances of how to work on the private label space that differs um from let's say a craft so you have a craft mac and cheese everyone knows what it is right Um, that is a you spend money on branding you spend money on um, promotions innovation but what you really have a advantage on is the manufacturing side because you're running one box one item and you're doing it day and night you never change anything then you go over to the private label side right now you know theoretically you don't have a brand so you don't have to invest in an equity thing you don't really have to invest in promotions you're really there to build something that um a retailer wants right whether it's kroger walmart trader joe's whole foods um the difficulty is where the disadvantage comes in if you don't manage it really well is the um the cost of goods right because what you're really what you really have is a high level of complexity so on the cpg side you don't have to le- manage too much complexity on The trio side or the private label side it is all about managing complexity you want all the business but you got to imagine that every single retailer has a different formula different package sometimes a different package size so you you know you could end up running 10 different items on a day a week uh, and every time you shut down it costs you money every time you change something costs money then you have to clean equipment like so That's, that's, you know, people always say, well, why wouldn't craft get into the private label business? Because they'd have to add complexity. That's not necessary. Um, So that's the real interesting nuance. And those that manage that really, really well can make some money at this, right? Because there's growth. If you don't manage it well, um, you will quickly see that there's no profit in this at all.
0: Right. I'm sure it's got to be actually almost backwards at that point of really understanding the, the supply chain and the whole pieces of the manufacturing because you are changing so much so often. Yep. And actually, to me that's you know that's scarier than anything else. It's yeah. you're, you're taking off your assembly line and revamping each each and every product.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, and again, you know, people look at this and say growth, right? And what's interesting about private label is that it's actually not really growing in the U.S. It is in certain pockets. Um, the dynamics of the retail business in the retail market here uh, is very different than anywhere else. So, you know, again, the pressure is that you have to do that job extremely well. You have to be ruthless on cost, be really efficient. And then, you, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good area to be in.
0: Right. How is it different than say private label for the drug and pharma business? Is it similar or is it completely different?
1: Oh no, it's similar, but I would just say, you know, you you end you you get into more regulatory requirements, right? So um, you know, even in food, it's like, I mean, I, I was responsible for broth uh, as an example, so so it sounds like a pretty simple item, right? But the amount of of restrictions, food safety qualifications, all that kind of stuff makes it really difficult. Then go into the OTC space. Um, you know, anything you're digesting and, or, or anything that has claims adds a ton of, of scrutiny and incremental resources to ensure quality and safety.
0: Right. No, I have a friend of mine who does it for the supplement business is a supplement. Yeah. And then I'm sure the supplement business is right in between the two, correct? Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but again, you know, and, and what's really interesting is that you know, 10 years ago, private label was just a really nice thing to have on shelf. You partnered with one player. They did it. It wasn't a cost game, nothing like that. It's evolved so much in the last 10 years. It's, it's incredible.
0: I know you go to Wegmans and they're trying to put everything towards private label, right? right. It's, there's more Wegmans product than there is anything well, else.
1: And I'll tell you, Wegmans is a great example. The Quality is fantastic. Right. right. So, um, it, you know, I always I always use this example. You know, if you look at at Tylenol as an example. Right. Um, and I don't know if I can say that or not. But if, if you, you know, the, the government requires that the main ingredients, if you're going to do private label, are exactly the same. It looks it might look different. It might not have the same color of pill, but it has to, by law, be the very same thing. Um, you know, and then you ask the question, well, why don't people then just buy that? Cause it's cheaper, but you know, that's not the way people shop.
0: No, I know they love packaging. They love the brand name. I went to buy, I'm here in new England and you're in Chicago, right? So all the allergy stuff is coming out and mm. I, I went to grab a thing, of Zyrtec, it was like 40 bucks. And then yeah. I went to grab the private label. It was like nine bucks for like 10 yeah. more pills. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'll save 30 bucks because I've got a different green on the on my cap than my other one.
1: Right. And it has to be the same. Now, in food, it's different, right? Um, but again, like you use Wegmans as an example. They put their name on the package. I mean, it's no different than Costco with Kirkland. It's probably the best product out there. Um, because they also have organizations like I've built that the efficacy of the product the the formulation the testing the consumer testing i mean it's it's a you know it's a big deal
0: right no it ha- and it has to be right it's because at that at that level you're competing with the brand names it's right now it's not like you're going to you know a dollar general or something else where you know there's going to be a quality difference and who knows if there is or if there isn't but it's not that perception but Wegmans is or Whole Foods right you know they their private labels have to be as good or better in order to to actually make money Right. right yeah no that's exactly right where do you see this business going? Where do you see the food and beverage business going and in, in the private label business, especially sort of in this, ta- in, in this time of crisis? I was what, watching last night on the news or saying that grocery prices are up, meat prices are up, everything's up, obviously because there's more demand, no one's eating out as much. But you know, where, where do you see the direction of this happening or is it just a minor blip or what's sort of the future in this space?
1: I think, I think private label will continue to grow. I mean, I, I, that's the space that I, I think is the most attractive. Um, you know, I think as you know, it's a value play, right. And, and, um, today in this type of environment, people are, are values more important, right? Not that quality and safety isn't, um, but you see private label grow, um, in, in these kind of scenarios, right? So obviously it's recession proof. It actually benefits from that. And then what's really interesting is that it it you know it kind of it it, it go, it's it's not a straight line going up, but it's kind of it plateaus and it goes up and plateaus again, and then it moves around as well, right? Category to category, it's a real you know I think you'll see more innovation come out of private label. I think you'll see that faster, um, but you know. Th- whenever these things happen then all of a sudden you build, you become a bigger believer in the Wegmans brand. And then all of a sudden it's less of a choice. And, and, you know, the things that you still go to brand become smaller and smaller. Um, you know, I think I'd like to be a number one or two brand player and I'd like to be in private label. And I think that's where, what the world will look like. Um, cause you know, the other problem retailers have is as traffic goes down and they've got to deal with all of the other that, you know, the, the, the e-com side of this, um, they got to take cost out. Um, you know, and that's, that's really, um, that's the critical thing. And that's why too much complexity on shelf is a real issue.
0: Right. Right. Interesting. No. And Mo, and we're coming up here on a half an hour. This was amazing. Sort of my MBA in the private label business. Yeah. It's, it's been great and great for the listeners. Um, where can people find out more about you if they have questions, comments, you know, want to chat further? Where yeah. can I find you?
1: Yeah, you know, I think probably the easiest is on LinkedIn. Um, you know, it's probably the only, uh, yeah, it's really the only thing I'm on. Um, but, you know, that's the best way to kind of find me. And, you know, i happy to chat about opportunities and more about, you know, things like this.
0: Awesome, and and if anyone has any questions, comments, feedback, um, needs to get Mo with in touch with Mo directly, you can email me at k at zrg partners. But Mo, this was great, and thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, okay. And if anyone, uh, make sure you subscribe to all the listeners out there. Subscribe to the Ultimate Hire podcast. If you can think of any leaders or anyone that would be a great guest as well, or if you would like to be a guest, feel free to email me as well at lubin at ZRG Partners. Make sure that you're still out there getting after it. We're all going to make it through this pandemic together. So thanks for listening.